0: Good morning, Lakeway. Where are you guys going? We're not done yet. Well, like Amy said, this is our second Sunday of the month, and this is where we have a chance for our kids to come in so you parents can see what's been going on in the kids' ministry. Hi, kids. Hi, kids. Hi. Most of you know me, right? I'm Chris. I'm Miss Amy's husband. I'm here instead of Pastor Mike this week, and I'm going to be talking to you. You're going to be learning about someone named Hannah today. What? I know it's insane. Let me ask you all a question real fast. What's something that you want more than anything else? Go ahead, shout it out. Clocks, a dog, a, dog. a, cat. a cat. Wow, lots of pets. Parents, we want pets. So. This woman, Hannah, she lived a very, very long time ago. And you know what she wanted more than anything else? She wanted to be able to have a kid. Because, you know, she couldn't have kids, right? They tried and tried, but she just never had one. And it felt really bad. Like, really bad. Now, even worse, have you ever had a friend, or maybe not so much of a friend, where they have something that you want, and then... They kind of make you feel bad about it. They brag about how they have this thing that you want. That's not fun at all, is it? How does it feel? Uh-huh. Right. And then it just makes you feel even worse because you think to yourself, well, they get to have one. Why can't I have one? And you know what happened to Hannah? What? Well, one of her friends was doing that to her, too. What? I know. She was bragging about, I have kids. You don't have kids. Just think about how much that would have hurt. So Hannah cried and cried. But you know what she did? She decided to pray about it. She went to the temple. That's where they would go for church. It was called the temple back then. She went to the temple and she prayed and prayed. And she promised to God that if God was able to give her a child... That she would dedicate him to God. And you know what? God gave her a child. Yeah, yay. And she loved that boy so much. She called him Samuel. And when Samuel was old enough, you know what she did? She kept her promise to God. She took him to the church, and he learned, and he became not just a priest, but what was called a judge, one of the most important people in the country back then, and he helped lead the country toward God. He became one of the most important people back then, and that's all because Hannah was faithful and kept her promise to God, just like God was faithful and kept his promise to Hannah. So now you guys are going to go and learn more about Hannah today. Thank you kids so much for coming to join us. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'll just move stuff around. By the way, grown-ups, um, who in here is familiar with Samuel? Yep, good old uh, Old Testament has his own books, First and Second Samuel. Not kidding, he does a lot. Now, um, <laughs> this has nothing to do with, my, with today's lesson. We'll just do a little transition here. One of the reasons I love Samuel so much is this great story. So after Samuel had died, Saul was dealing with the Philistines, right? And he didn't know what to do. Samuel had been one of his mentors. So he decides to be clever, I guess, and try to contact Samuel. He goes and he contacts a spirit medium. You know, someone who says that they can talk to the dead, right? And just just get out of the way. Spirit mediums can't do that. But... This time, the medium was very surprised when Samuel actually showed up in spirit form. And I just love that story so much, because to me, that's hilarious. They're doing their whole seance thing, and then suddenly Samuel's there, and he literally just looks at Saul and says, Saul, what are you doing? Why am I here? It's a great story. Look it up if you haven't read it already. So uh, obviously, Mike is still out this week. Uh, This week, his family's in town, so you got me again. And I'll go ahead and address the elephant in the room. Everyone is probably wondering why the heck is there a pack of cards sitting in my chair? And everyone should have one of these. It's a little packet of four cards. If you don't have one, there's plenty of empty seats that will have a pack in there. And I'm not going to tell you exactly what we're doing with these right away. I just want you to follow along with some of my instructions here. Okay, try to keep up with me as close as you can here. First off, make sure you take the rubber band off. Should be nice and free. I love the little snapping sound. You know, you can tell that it's not a traditional Baptist church when, like, I'm bringing these in here to do an illustration, and, you know, sometimes people get a little weird about playing cards, like, oh, the devil's pasteboards. Here, people have been saying, give me a good hand. We're not playing poker. I'll just get that out of the way right now, so... You should have your four cards here, and there's a few things we want to make sure you know how to do with cards. You may not use them all the time. First off, I want you to spread them out like that. That's called a spread whenever you move them out. Make sure that all four of your cards are, are different from each other, so you shouldn't have any duplicates in there, right? Then, when we put them back together like this, that's called squaring up, okay? So if I ever say to square up, we're putting them back together. Now... Um, the next thing I want to make sure that we're all able to do here is what's called cutting the cards. All right. If you haven't played cards before, cutting's really easy. It just means that we're going to take some cards off the top, all as one, and move them straight to the bottom. It okay? doesn't matter how many you take. One, two, three, whatever. But you take some off the top as one, put them straight on the bottom. So make sure you know how to cut them. Make sure you can do that. And then the next thing I want you to do is just mix them up so you don't know which one is where. I mean, it's only four cards. There's not... Too much to mix, but make sure it's good. Now, you're probably holding your cards kind of like this, same way you would hold a phone, right? We're going to pretend that we're opening Netflix and we're rotating your landscape mode, right? And now you should be looking down at your cards with them facing away from you, okay? This next part, we're going to fold them all in half and give them a good crease down the middle, okay? Yeah. (laughs) So now that we've got this nice, lovely crease pack, if that was triggering your OCD, you're going to love this next part. Rip them in half. Everyone's suddenly sad we're not actually playing blackjack now. So now that we have the cards ripped in half, you should have two halves like this. We're going to put one half right on top of the other, okay? And so now it's like you have eight little tiny cards, we're going to cut them again. So remember before, we're just going to take some off the top as one. Oh, <laughs> holding up. OK, so we should have one half on top of the other. You're going to cut the cards and complete again. So remember, pick some up off the top and move them straight to the bottom. In fact, you can even do that again if you want to. You can take some off the top and move them straight to the bottom. Now, this next part. Uh, Just listen close before you do anything, but I'll tell you the easiest way to do this. We're going to take three cards off the top and put them in the middle. The easiest way to do that is just spread them a little bit, take these top three pieces, put them somewhere in the middle. doesn't matter where in the middle, just so long as it's in the middle. Once you've done that, we're going to square them up again. Has everyone squared up? Okay, it's important that we're squared up because I actually missed a step but it's okay. We can keep going. We're going to take whatever piece is on top. Don't look at it. Just take whatever piece is on top, put it in your pocket or under your leg or just next to you. Just hold on to it. Okay. Now that we've done that, we can go back to that last step. So again, let's take the top three and put them in the middle. Now, you can decide this next part. Don't do anything until I say, but you can either take the top card, the top two cards, or the top three cards. Decide however many you want one, two, or three and hold them up above your head, just like that. Now, throw them behind you. Whoever's behind you deserves it. It's fine. Don't be shy. For the next part here, I'm going to need a a number between 1 and 10. So what I want everyone to do is to quickly think about one. Don't say it out loud just yet. But try to really visualize it inside of your head. So if you were to think of the number 4, just imagine like you see the number 4 up there on the screen. So uh, in just a second, I'm going to say now I want everyone to shout out their number. Now. That was a lot of 7s. Okay, 7s have it. So we're going to cycle through the deck 7 times. So there's what I mean by this. Follow along with me. Take the top card, that's 1, I'm going to put it on the bottom. 2, we're going to put it on the bottom. 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Now we're on to our last step here, so it's important you listen to this. We're going to do what's called the shuffle deal. This is a way that we can start dealing some cards down while also shuffling them up. And we're going to do this until we have one left. So, again, just follow along with me. Let's take the top one, and we put it on the bottom. Take the next one, throw it behind you. Take the top card, put it on the bottom. Take the next card, throw it behind you. And we're just going to keep doing that. Top card goes on the bottom. Next card, we throw it away. Depending on how many you threw away before, you may need to do it more or less times than me. So top goes to the bottom. Next one, we throw away. Top goes to bottom. Next one, we throw away. And we should end up all with one piece, right? And this is the real interesting thing. We all started with different cards. All of you had different packets in there. Some of you may have had some similar cards. But you folded them, you ripped them up. You cut them in different ways. You threw away different numbers of them. You got to mix them up in different ways. And you've all ended up with something that's unique to you. But here's the thing about this. Every card, when you think about it, really has some kind of value. It doesn't matter what packet you had out there, if it was a 2 or a 5. You know, I'm sure... None of you gamble or play poker or anything. But let's say you were doing five-card stud, right? And you had a three, four, five, and six of hearts. Well, if you saw a two of hearts come along next, that's going to be the most valuable card you've ever seen. That's going to get you a straight flush, right? That's a really hard hand to beat. So even something as simple as a two of hearts can be great. But if you're kind of like me right now, I'm, I'm holding an ace of spades. That should theoretically be the best card in the deck, the highest card, but it doesn't really have a lot of value right now. Because what's happened to it? It's been ripped in half. It's it's lost the value that it has. And you know, sometimes this is how we end up, right? We get to this point where maybe we had something going for us, but it's all been broken down. And we may have surrounded ourselves with all these other pieces and other things, but when we strip it away. We're left with half a card. And it sort of feels like this is the dead end, right? It's like, other than ripping this piece up more, what else could we possibly do right now? You're you're getting there. (laughs) Sometimes you just need to know the next step. You need to have a little direction and a little faith. Now, remember earlier, we put another piece into our pockets or under our legs or things. Go ahead and take it now. Put them together and see what what we see. Because... Sometimes, even whenever you don't know what's going on, everything seems hopeless, you can still be restored, right? And if you went through this and we followed everything right, your two halves should match up right now. Nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> you didn't? Okay. But yeah, you got it? Yeah? No. no. <laughs> I guess I got some secret here then. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we got him back there. Yeah, hold him up if yours are magic. Yeah, there we go. Good, good majority of you there. <laughs> so the, the whole point of this, you know, we're going to be looking at the life of, of Saul today. There are times where things are broken down. You're at your absolute bottom, and it seems like there's nothing else and nowhere else to go. But with faith and with direction there's ways that we can be restored. And that's why today we're calling today's lesson Torn and Restored. We're going to be looking at the book of Acts today. And we're going to be in Acts... Acts 8 and 9, mostly. A clever man would have brought his tablet instead of his phone for this, but we've got our tablet. So we're going to start out talking about Saul. Now, this is the early days of the church, right? Uh, This is when everyone has... Uh, just gotten the, the gift of the Spirit at Pentecost, and the church has been expanding and expanding. And a man named Stephen had caught the eyes of the Jewish leaders. And those Jewish leaders were not very happy with him. You see, they thought they had taken care of this problem back with Jesus when they, they killed him. Obviously, they didn't. So now they're starting to go after the apostles and the people who are, have faith in the church. So Saul... Is a leader at this time. He's very well respected among the Jewish people. He's very knowledgeable. He knows the law backwards and forwards. And uh, he does not like what he hears. Everything he thinks hears blasphemy. So he's he is definitely an enemy of the church at that time. And when uh, Stephen is stoned to death by the Jewish leaders, they freak out at his apparent blasphemy. Saul actually holds on to the garments of the people who are throwing the stones. Now, this actually says in the Bible that they they put his garments at his feet. Now, why would they do something like that? It's not a very nice reason. Say you're having, if you're going to go play baseball, right? If you're wearing a really heavy jacket, it's going to be kind of tough to throw that ball, isn't it? So, if you're throwing a stone, you don't want to be wearing this heavy cloak, So they actually would take the cloaks off. They were giving him to Saul because Saul was trusted. He was looking after their clothes so they could literally throw stones harder at Stephen. So he's very much uh, a part of this. In Acts uh, 8, this is verses 1 and 3, it says that Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. But Saul was going ev- uh, everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. And you see, this is a very important thing right here. You know, it's easy to look back at this and be like, oh, this is such a, such a villain, such a bad guy doing this. He genuinely thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was doing right by God because he wasn't following the directions of God. See, God sent some pretty clear instructions when he sent Jesus, right? Very clear on what you need to do at that point. And the church leaders at this point, the apostles, have those same directions, those same instructions. But Saul didn't want to listen to those. He wanted to follow tradition. He wanted to follow what he had heard from man. And this is where we're at this point, where Saul is this enemy of the church. And that takes us to our main verse, uh, which is in Acts 9, verses 1 through 19. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So he's wanting to go out there, find believers, and this arrest would basically have been a death sentence at that time. The, the Jewish people were not being very friendly to the church. But something happens here in verse 3. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. He he still hadn't figured it out at this point. And the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, I want to put you to just pause and put yourself into Saul's place right now. Again, he thought he was doing the very thing he was called to do. He thought he was following God's plan with him. And he got a little bit more of a wake-up call than most of us are ever lucky to, right? He got straight up told by Jesus, no, you're persecuting me. And, you know, a lot of times when I see this study, there's this focus on him being blinded and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, the, the blindness being a punishment or whatever. I really think that was, that was done so Saul could stop and really think and contemplate and be introspective for a while. So, consider what he's having to figure out now. He's just been proven unequivocally, okay, Jesus is Lord, and I've been persecuting his followers. Can you imagine the weight of that right now? Like, can can you imagine what that must feel like? It's not just a matter of him knowing he was wrong. It was a matter of him knowing he was persecuting the people trying to tell the truth. He was actively being an adversary to them. We'll continue on here in verse 10. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied, the Lord said, "Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. Not that Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again." Just again, yeah, just pause. But Lord exclaimed, "Ananias, I've heard many people talk about these terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem." And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. And I don't know about you, but I'd be pausing right there as well. Like, the guy who wants to kill me, I'm supposed to go talk to him right now. That's what you want. The Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the king, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. So now we have another person in the mix, Ananias, right? And if we're going back to this theme of following directions, this is one of those times where I think it's safe to say the directions really don't make a lot of sense here. But what, what we learn from Ananias here, does he argue with God? No. He does kind of, quick question, can I clear up something with you first? Are you sure about this? But as soon as God says, yeah, I'm sure, I want you to go, Ananias doesn't hesitate. Now, Saul is always the focus of this story because this is the the story of, of his redemption. But Ananias' faith there is something pretty extraordinary to me because at that point, he's just ready. And if, you, if, you, if we keep reading here, we look in verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul, and he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul. Just think about that again. He addresses him as brother. Now, this is... Uh, this version of the word brother, this is what believers would normally refer to each other as. So it was a sign of, of being together in the family of faith. Ananias, as soon as he gets there, is instantly willing to connect with Saul and willing to reach out to him and willing to say, hey, you're my brother. For Saul, that, that must have just been crushing in a way. I don't know if you've ever had someone where you've had issues in the past and you know, you knew you were in the wrong, and you've had to go and make amends with them. And they just tell you, it's fine, we're good, I've forgiven you. That feeling, it's a great feeling, but then at the same time, the weight of all those emotions can come crushing in on you. But that's where we're at. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly... Something like scales uh, fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight, and then he got up and he was baptized. So, yeah, he gets his sight back. This is God's way of saying, okay, Saul, you're ready. Let's keep moving forward because now he has his mentor there. He has someone who can help guide him. And the first thing they do is immediately go and baptize him. And this baptism would have been a baptism in the Holy Spirit, right? This is something that we kind of replicate today. Uh, same sort of thing. The dunking in the water, not the important part. It's the accepting of the Holy Spirit now. And that's where Paul's at. And when we look at Saul's conversion, we realize there's a few things here. He had been stubborn all the way up to this point. He'd been doing things his own way. He was in a position now that he had to listen. He had no choice but to hear what Ananias had to say to him. He immediately became repentant. He was willing to say, Okay, I know that I've screwed up and I've got myself here. He's finally acknowledging where he's at, the fact that he's broken. He's like our torn card from before. And most importantly, once Paul became repentant, He was welcomed back by God. I can't think of many people in the Bible who were as aggressive toward the early church who converted and became such a big figure as Saul here. This is one of those things. If Saul can be saved, if Saul can be restored, I'd be willing to say just about anyone can. And we see the power of this restoration because at the end of the day, it's not about Saul, right? It has nothing to do with Saul's own salvation. I mean, that's good. Great for Saul that he was saved and he moved forward. But why did God intervene so directly here? So that Saul could become his messenger to Gentiles and kings, uh, that he could suffer in God's name here. And Saul was so unique because he was so well-respected among the Jews and so knowledgeable among the Jews. And we see a little further in Acts nine twenty through 23, what happens when a person like this has a salvation experience. Verse 20 says, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He's the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? That's got to be a weird sight to see. It's like, what's happened to this dude? Like, there's something very strange going on here. It's catching people's attentions. It's bringing them to Saul. And that's really what it comes down to. Saul was the last person who was going to be one of Jesus' followers. You better believe that as soon as people saw him praising Jesus, they were willing to ask themselves, there's got to be something to this. What's going on? Can you talk to me about it? In fact... It said, going further, it says in verse 22 that Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. There was no arguing with him. He knew all the tradition, all the law. He was spot on with that. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. He became such a powerful force for that early church. And by the way, at this point, he still hasn't even met with the main church body. He hasn't gone back and met Peter and the rest of the apostles. He's just there spreading the message because he knows at the very least that is his calling. And he's such a powerful player at that point that the Jews say, we can't let this stand. We've got to do something about this. We have to intervene. And and just think about that. The greatest enemy of the church has turned into one of the greatest allies of the church at that point. An ally so strong that their enemies can't let this stay the way it is. They can't stand because they know he's going to keep spreading the word. He's going to keep converting people from there. And this is the biggest takeaway that I want us to have when we think about Saul's life here and Saul's conversion. And you know, after this, when he learns about the plot, just, I'll just tie up our loose end here. Uh, when he learns about the plot, he actually does go meet the church in Jerusalem. At first, they're so afraid of him, they don't even, like, speak to him. They won't let him in the room. And it's, it's finally when um, another one of the brothers, Bartholomew? Is it Barthol- Or Barnabas? It's Barnabas or Bar- It starts with a B. That's the important part. Um, he actually has to go to the apostles and say, No, I can vouch for him. I've seen the stuff he's been doing. He's on our side now. And then the church, again, welcomes him with open arms. They end up sending him down to Caesarea, out out of Jerusalem, because he's just in too much danger there. And he becomes the evangelist to the Gentiles. He starts visiting the Romans. Um, And so where Peter was really the rock for the Jewish people and for building the church there, Paul becomes the leader that spreads the word to the rest of the world. You know, he's not even an apostle, and yet his letters are some of the ones that we study the most because of the insights that he had. Um, I think it's safe to say he grew to be one of the greatest leaders the church has ever known in all time. So where does this put us? You know, all of us really are in a position that we're broken. The Bible's pretty clear about this. None of us are full right now. None of us are complete. We're all at that phase where we're just our little piece of card right now. And we may try to fill it up with a bunch of other things, but the pieces just don't fit, right? There's only one thing... That's going to complete that out, and the reason why this is so important for us, and the reason why being restored is important, is because that is our testimony and that is our witness. So you know we um, lose my notes here. It's our restoration that catches people att- people's attention. Uh, I've, I've talked about this a little bit before when I've been up here, but uh, until about the last five-ish years, maybe six years. Most of you probably didn't see me around the church very much. I mean, I was married to one of the pastor's daughters. I'm his son-in-law. You know, I'd be here for like Christmas and stuff, but I would always have work, and I would always have other stuff going on, and really, I didn't want to be here at all, (laughs) if I'm being totally honest. Um, And during that time in my life, I know I was not a great person to be around. I definitely know I wasn't a good influence on the people around me. I, um, you know, I, I can remember multiple fights with my wife. Uh, people who know us now don't always believe me when I say that our marriage was this far from a complete meltdown. Like, we were at the point of being roommates. We didn't really love each other at all. We tolerated each other's presence. You know, it was really, it was more of a pride thing that kept us from splitting up than anything else. And then I had an experience. I was at the men's retreat. I'm not going to go too deep into it here, but I'll just put the little plug here. Men, if you haven't been to one of our men's retreats, you need to go to one of our men's retreats. But after, like, nine years, Mike finally got me to go along to one. It was life-changing. And uh, I remember there was a friend of ours who... um, who didn't really approve of our, our marriage. It was a mutual friend, but they were just like, look, you're both miserable, and you both have biblical reasons for divorce. Just why are you doing this? And it was about six months after that men's retreat and me starting to, to get back in, I remember uh, her saying, that, I mean, it was after maybe a 30-second conversation, I couldn't have said two sentences, but I walked away, and apparently she says to Amy, wow, he's a changed man. It's nothing I really said or did. She could just feel it. And I've had that same, I had that same experience happen with multiple people who knew me through my life. It's like, man, have you been going to therapy? What's, what's going on? Are you doing good? Th- th- these changes that happen to us, not only do they help us and they restore us, but our restoration makes other people look around and be like, wait, how do I have what you have? No offense to those of you who didn't get the cards to match up. <laughs> but I'm sure you're all wondering right now, why don't my cards match? What do all these other people have? What did they do different from what I did, right? It kind of draws you toward it. It it makes you wonder. I'm going to talk about some of the the things that I I see around here, some of the things that you can do today, because we always think of this Bible as something that's happened in the past. It's happening right now. You know, I love the book of the Acts of the Apostles. You know what today is? Today is the book of the Acts of today, right? There's a few ministries just off the top of our head, that our church is involved in. Celebrate Recovery. Interesting program, it was, uh, it's from Saddleback Church. If you've done any of Rick Warren's stuff, that's his church. John Baker was the person who really got this program going. Baker was a severe alcoholic. Um, his life was in a really bad spot. Marriage was just about the end there. He, was, he, he said he was a roughly functioning alcoholic, right? He had a successful business. I'm sure to people on the outside it looked okay. But his life was falling apart on the inside. And he tried a couple things. So he went to his church groups, his small groups. This is back in the early, late 80s, early 90s, okay? And I'll just say back then, you know, the church was maybe not so open about discussing things and feelings. And he found out he couldn't talk about his problems at his, in his small group. I can't imagine that now with my small group, but that's the problem he ran into. But then at AA he couldn't talk about his savior because AA is all about having a neutral higher power. And he realized, you know, the 12 steps don't mean anything on their own. And the church doesn't mean anything if we're not going to acknowledge that we're broken. And so he got, he went to John Baker said, Hey, I have this idea for a 12 step. And Rick Warren just said, yeah, do it. You know, and the the first meeting had 50 attendees and there's millions of people going now. And CR is an interesting one because it's not just about addictions, it's life issues and anything. Kairos, thank you, Randy, for bringing that to Lakeway. You hear Randy talk about this from time to time. I can't think of a much more hostile environment in today's world than prison. And the people who go into prison, that's kind of the definition of broken, right? There's something in their lives that, that they've lost. And the reason Kairos is so successful is because those people who get restored in the program come back, and they're a part of the next program. But how many people do you think get back involved, Randy? Do you guys have any numbers on that? In the next weekend? Yeah. Oh, at least uh, 9
1: to 15 next weekend.
0: But as far as the weekly, Yeah. And what happens is this beautiful snowball where you have this one group that finally gets it. They're like, okay, I found what's missing in my life. And these are people who, are, in some cases, thought they were beyond hope. You know, it's easy to look down on prisoners, right? You hear that sentiment all the time. It's like, oh, they did the crime, you know, time to pay whatever. And they feel that love, and then they pass that love to the next group that comes on. And it goes on and on and on in this this way that improves the lives of these people. And really, the most important thing, it spreads the word of God. Grief Share is another program here at Lakeway. Uh, I believe it started back up recently. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. Um, grief share is for people who've recently lost someone who, someone who, who's grieving. You know, if you've lost a close family member before, that just breaks you. It's, it's like a part of you is gone. And in grief share, people are able to come back together and they're able to support each other and they're able to keep each other focused and to remind each other of the love of God. It's another area where I can't think of any other way, you know, we may not get back the loved one that we lost, but we can restore our relationship with Christ and we can remind ourselves that, hey, we have a place with our loved one later on. These are just three ministries that Lakeway is involved in, in some capacity or another, that our members are involved in. This is what I love about Lakeway. None of these are official church ministries, but these are all ministries that Lakeway has decided to support and that our church members have become heavily involved in. And there's so many others I could list off there's so many things that our members do here. And these are the things that will pull people through. So let's pull this back in and summarize here. So what can we do to work on our restoration? Number one is accept that we're broken and we don't want to think about that sometimes. For people who are newer in the faith, it's a little harder for them because they'll say things like, well, I've been a good person. You know, I know my best friend for a long time before he was saved, but I'll say, I've generally on the balance, I've done good things. I'm, I'm, I'm good um romans 3 makes it pretty clear everyone has sinned we all fall short of god's glorious standard but i have another verse for those of us who've been believers for a while first corinthians 10 12 if you think you're standing strong be careful not to fall because the trap we get in is yeah i'm restored i'm good and then some other part of our life kind of starts to slip away right and now we're broken in another way So we need to be honest with ourselves and willing to accept that there's still things happening in our lives, still ways that we need to be restored. So that brings us to point number two here is we have to listen for God because God's the one who's going to reveal these things for us. In Saul's case, very literally, right? Revealing to him his issues. In our case, I don't think you're going to get pulled over on the side of the road, blinded, and then have someone come out to you if it happens, cool, but more likely than not, you're going to need to be listening for God and actively go to him. Pray to him. Say, God, what do I need to work on? What part of me isn't restored yet? And you need to be willing to, be, to listen to him when he actually says that. It's too easy to be, God, what do I need to work on? You should really cut down on drinking. I just don't know where to go, Lord. Stop, stop drinking. Can you give me a sign? Yeah. Yeah. Your credit card's been declined at the at the liquor store god why is this happening to me i'm just buying this alcohol you know it's all this stuff going on we need to listen to him and then one thing that can be the hardest for some of us is number three to accept his forgiveness because once we've realized where we're at and what we've done it's very easy to be hard on ourselves saul had every reason to stay in that room for the rest of his life moping about every mistake he's ever made he could have kept telling himself there is no way that God is going to accept me back. Ananias could have shown up to him. And I know people where it's like this, where they tell the truth. Hey, you've been forgiven. God wants to work through you. No, it's too much. I've done too much. God can't work through me. This leads me to one of my favorite pairs of verses, Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And I have some, some words in bold here to really consider. This includes you who were Once far away from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Just consider this. Were is past tense. Are is present tense. You were at fault. You are holy and blameless. And I think, so this letter, Colossians, by the way, was written by Paul, a.k.a. Saul. Paul is his, his Roman name. Saul was his, his Jewish name. I think this is why I, I, I trust this letter and this writing so much, because, again, if there's someone who should know about having to forgive himself, it's this guy. And he continues in 23 and says, But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. And I I can't say it any better than Paul there. Don't trick yourself out of God's forgiveness. And then the last thing we need to do once we've gotten there is follow his directions. What did Paul do at that point? He went out into the world, and he started to share that message. So that's the takeaway I hope you take with you today, is that we're all broken, but we can all be restored, and that restoration is what we use to move forward. I'd like to pray over you all real quick. Father God, I want to thank you for this church and this body of yours that's come to gather here today. Lord, there's a lot of places that people could be on a Sunday. We could be out there trying to live our lives and ignore the mission you've given us but everyone who's here was called here to listen to this message today and i pray that your words you know you set me aside and and your words um, reach the people who need to hear it and lord i ask that you open our eyes to the things that you need us to work on that you show us the parts of our lives that maybe aren't in line with where you need us to be and guide us through that process give us directions Give us hope and give us an open and willing heart to follow those directions so that your glory can be seen through us for other people. And Father, for the people who have not yet accepted you, I I just pray that you touch on their hearts today and that they're willing to soften their hearts and to accept maybe there's something in my life, maybe there's something more that's out there. And if that's you today, you can say this simple prayer with me Dear Jesus, I accept that I've sinned, I'm torn, I've done the wrong things in the past, but I accept that you've died on the cross for me to forgive my sins, and I invite you to be my Lord and Savior, and help me know where to go, give me direction from here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, everyone, I want to thank you very much for being out here this morning. Uh, We're going to do our announcements in just a second, but we
1: have a quick little announcement from Pastor Mike here. Hi, folks. All change at Lakeway. On September 11, 2022, we're going to move our Sunday morning service time from 11 o'clock to 10.30. Now, why are we doing this? Because we believe that 10.30 is a more attractive time for guests and visitors to come. We also, from the feedback I've received, believe that it's a better time for you also. Now, we're also considering adding a 9 o'clock Sunday school hour. Now, I know that's going to bring challenges. What do you do with youth? What do you do with children in that time? But I think that those challenges are offset, more than offset, by the benefits we get as we seek to grow spiritually together. Now, the Sunday school will will only work if we're all committed to making it work. Therefore, we need some feedback from you. Is this something that you want? Would you use it? Are you willing to help make it work? what would be the best format etc large sessions small sessions now with that in mind we're going to be conducting a survey for the whole of the month of July every Sunday Now, you only need to do it one time we just want to make sure that we connect with as many people as possible Um, please take a moment now to answer those questions they're in your bulletin and uh, when you filled out the questionnaire drop it in the offering as it goes by or put it in the basket by the foyer door, or give it to one of the First Impressions team. Thank you for being part of this. Hi, folks.
2: And there are pens underneath the chairs in front of you, if any of you need a pen. and Thank you, Chris, for that message that you brought. Um, I was thinking to myself... Um, Torn and restored, you know, what a what a great message and a name for the message. And I was thinking to myself, as we're torn, how many of us actually in life are restored the first time around? As, uh, you know, Chris asked who all came out, we should have had, you know, the same card. But most of us didn't, you know, whether it's we didn't follow instructions properly or... We just hadn't gotten restored yet, but it's a process, and, and um, Chris uh, mentioned it as active. He said being restored. He didn't say we are restored, so I just thought that was really good, and, and it stuck with me. In a moment, we're going to take up our offering um, so you can get those ready if, if you need to, and um, if you're online, you can give your offering online. Any of you can give them online as well. The baskets will come around. Those that are going to take up the offering can, can come on up if if they're ready. And uh, the baskets go around in a moment. We can place the cards, our prayer request cards, or our visitor cards in those offerings as well as they go around. And uh, we thank you for that. Um, Okay, let me uh, pray over this offering and we'll get that going. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you provide for your house and you provide for the ministries that that uh, we are to perform uh, for you. Uh, this is your work that we're doing and it's done through these tithes and offerings. And uh, we thank you for the faithfulness of each and every one um, in giving those. And uh, we ask your blessing upon it and your blessing upon uh, the personal finances of those who um, obey you and give. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, further announcements while those are going around. Uh, also, where you were, you were talking about Paul, I was, I was thinking about this, that, you know, he was called to do mighty works for God. But every one of us are not called to do works like Paul did. Many of us have our own, our own callings from, from whatever, and one of those we're looking for a need right now. Uh, it's our VIP on the back of your, of your card. Uh, become a VIP. We're looking for someone that um, would love to be uh, a part of private music events, reserved seating, backstage access, free Wi-Fi, by joining our audio-video team. We are in need of someone. If uh, Pray about that. If uh, you have the ability to to accept a calling that, that God's given in, in your ear as you're praying, um, please step forward for that. We, we are in need of that. Tomorrow is First Monday Prayer I'm at 7 o'clock here at the sanctuary. It's our opportunity to come together as a church and, uh, and pray for, for all, th- all of our needs and, and uh, seek God together. Um, women's Ministry Movie Night uh, will be coming up July 19th on a Tuesday, Where the Crawdads Sing, um, still theater to be announced, uh, Viceridge at Music City Mall, so you can get with Kelly if you have any questions about that. Uh, Vacation Bible School is coming up uh, July 25th through 29th from 6.30 to 9 um, on the there's also a P- PR code here that you can register your kids or grandkids to come. Uh, what a great event. Uh, these children get a, a week-long ability to seek God in, in their young lives. And uh, every time I've been a part of that, God's worked in amazing ways. And uh, this is another opportunity. For those who who are, are serving in that, that's great. If if you can't do that, we also have uh, many other opportunities uh We're needing some duct tape, scotch tape. um, They're all listed on here. That's another way that you can help just to provide those things, and uh, we thank you for that as well. Um, Hutchins Kairos Weekend number 30 is coming up August 18th through 21, and uh, Randy's leading that one. Um, Do you need anything still, Randy, on that? Okay, they'll be out there today. Okay, so if you want to sign a prayer chain or meal tickets, um, they'll be out after the service for that. Uh, did I miss any announcements? We did cookie bank yesterday 45 dozen cookies. Awesome, 45 dozen cookies for them. That's that's awesome. I'm sure they'll enjoy those. 500 dozen cookies. 500 dozen blessings in the form of a cookie. <laughs> okay, um, let me say a little prayer over, over everyone, and we'll be, we'll be finished. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message that you've given us today. And, uh, Father, we just ask that you put the action part of that in our hearts, that um, we seek you. And uh, in each of, of our lives, as we are maybe daily torn and restored, allow us to hear your voice, to hear you, and to listen for God speaking in our ear as we're restored, and uh, each and every day, and we thank you for that, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit with us, and um, may you bless each and every one of us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, just
0: one quick thing as well. If uh, you could, just look for little pieces of card around you and grab those on your way out.